Good morning, everyone. Time to begin a worship service this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're certainly glad to have you and honored that you're here to worship with us. And we ask that you uh, feel uh, welcome to come back anytime and stick around. And we'd love to get to know you better in the front of the, well, in the front of you, in the back of the pews, our, our, our visitors' cards. We'd love for you to fill one out and you can put it in the uh, collection tray or just the person next to you or whatever, but uh, we certainly welcome you. This is a busy weekend. We have people traveling. We have people gone. We have, uh, I'm sure, some visitors here, and we want to keep those people in mind that's traveling and, and keep them in our prayers. And, and like Chris said earlier, the... Uh, with all the devastation down in Florida and things that's happened in Hawaii and things going on, we have a lot to pray for and a lot of people to, uh, to pray for. Also, let's remember those who are shut in, those who aren't able to be with us, and those were mentioned this morning in our Bible classes, and, and check, always check the Rome uh, bulletin and to look and uh, see who we need to keep in our prayers and what's going on. And we've also uh, put a TV up out in the foyer there so uh, they can put activities that's coming up and things that's been going on. Uh, I think it'll be a pretty good addition. So if you're out there, just kind of look around. It might be something we mess on the screen, but uh, I think it's a good thing. Also, this morning before we start, I would like to read. Uh, I'd like to read a few verses uh, from Second Chronicles, chapter fourteen, and then I want to go to chapter fifteen and read a couple verses. Uh, so Abaha, this is this is fourteen one Second Chronicles. So Abaha slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days, the land was quiet for ten years. And Asa did that was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law of the commandment. And if we jump ahead to chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, it says, They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Three more verses. Mark chapter 12. Let's skip ahead in the New Testament. And Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, Mark 12, 29. And, and a scribe had asked him a question about the commandment. What's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God 
with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment. Think about those words and think about how serious it is to serve God. And the king ordered them struck dead. Well, we're not going to be struck dead if we don't serve God. But in time, our souls, we're, we're going we're to die and we're going to die spiritually. So let's remember how important it is to serve the Lord our God. Bow with me as we go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We, we thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to come here and worship you, Father. And Father, help us to realize that, uh, that this is, is, is the greatest of all commandments, Father. And help us to remember that we need to fear God and keep his commandments, Father. We uh, pray that you'll be with us this morning as we worship you. We, we pray that we'll worship with an open mind and open heart. And, Father, that we just make you first in our lives. We pray for those, Father, who are sick. We pray for all those listed in our bulletin. We pray, Father, that uh, those who are battling cancer and, 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 and heart problems and, and whatever it may be, Father, that, that you'll bless them. And we pray, Father, a, a special prayer for Jimmy Wilkes as he's in Cleveland, Father, getting uh, special treatments. We pray, God, that you'll uh, be with him and be with the doctors attending to him. Uh, that, that these new, uh, this new procedure, Father, will, will do well with him and his body. And, and we pray, Father, for Jim and Margaret and, and his family that, that you'll bless and comfort them only in a way that you can. We thank you for all that you do for us, Father, and all that you give us. And we know that all good things come from you. We thank you for Jesus, and in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? Good morning. First hymn this morning, number 134, Faith is a Victory. <clears throat> Thanks, Tom. In camp along the hills of life, in Christian soldiers ride, and press the battle where the night shall hail the glory's eyes. I test the foe in man's below, that all our strength be Oh, 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 oh,
Next hymn this morning, number 118, count your blessings, 118, and Brother Greg Sullivan will have our scripture reading and prayer. When upon us build you our tempest cross, when you are discouraged in his Scripture reading this morning that Chris has selected is found in Acts chapter 20. Acts 20, verses 17 through 21. I'll be reading from the New International Version. 
Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of serving severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just come to you this morning, thank you for this opportunity that you have blessed us with to come here and worship you. Father, we are mindful of the ones that are not here with us, that are traveling. Father, just ask for their safety as they, as they go to their destination and as they come back to us. Father, also mindful of the ones that are sick, that are shut in. Father, just continue to be with them, give them the strength that they need. Father, we just pray as we go throughout this service that, Father, the things that we do here is pleasing in your sight. Be with Chris as he presents a lesson to us. Pray that we take something from it and just apply it to our lives. Continue to be with us, Father, and thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 217, He Loves Me. <clears throat> and after this, Brother Mike, we'll have our Lord's table. Why did the Savior have the answer morning. 
As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, it's probably a good time to ask ourselves, where are we right now? If I were to ask you, where are you at this very moment, it may seem like a kind of an odd question with a pretty obvious answer, but where are you? And obviously, we, we are all here together, physically, sitting here, but where is your mind? You know, sometimes we have a tendency to be thinking about other things, thinking about what we're going to be doing this afternoon, distractions uh, are normal, and, you know, we, we all have things going on in our lives, and, and sometimes our minds will wander to those things. But whatever we may be thinking about at this time, we need to put that aside and to think about what we're getting ready to uh, partake in. You know, we can all get distracted and lose sight of the most important reason that we're here this morning. But imagine if everyone in here right now that's here to worship God, we put all of our focus upon him, put all of our focus upon Jesus, and remember the sacrifices that he made for each one of us as he went to the cross. You know, there have been times that I've taken the Lord's Supper, and when it was over, I realized I didn't even consider what I was doing. You know, I went through the motions, I took the tray and grabbed from it and passed the tray on and didn't even give thought to what I was doing. And that's pretty sad considering what Jesus means to me and all that he, had, all he did or has done and the uh, price that he paid for our sins. I'd like to read from Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. These are verses that you all are very familiar with. It reads, And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. You know, what an amazing opportunity we have each first day of the week, that we can come together as one body, thinking about Jesus, remembering his body, the sacrifice that he made for each one of us on that cross, his body being nailed to it, taking away our sins so that we could have the hope of eternal life and that we could be with him one day. Also thinking about his blood, which was the new covenant, this one sacrifice, him going to the cross one time, and the blood that covers over all of our sins and washes us clean. Let's go to God in prayer and thank him for the bread. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Father, thanking you so much for, for being our God. We thank you for the love that you have for us, love that so strong that, that you made a way for us to be saved, Father, and that was through your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made on that cross, Father, his willingness to die, being nailed to that cross, having our sins nailed alongside him, Father, him being separated from you at that time. Father, we thank you so much, and for him and just ask your blessings upon this bread at this time and which represents his body father we pray that each of us will take in in a manner that's worthy to you and 
pray that our minds will be fully focused on Jesus at this time. And it's through Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you once again as we continue in our remembrance of your son, Jesus. We thank you again for him, his willingness to go to the cross, Father. We thank you for the blood that was shed on that cross, Father, that covers over our many sins, that washes us clean. Father, we thank you for this fruit of the vine, which is representative of that blood. We just ask your blessings upon it as we partake of it. It's through Jesus we pray these things. Amen.
concludes the Lord's Supper. At this time we have the opportunity to take up an offering and, and to give back to God. And giving is a, another way that we, that we worship God. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for all the many blessings that, that you give us each and every day, Father. We are truly blessed. We're blessed as a, a congregation. We're blessed as families, as individuals. We thank you, Lord, for all that you provide for us. We know that all good things come from you. And at this time, we ask your blessings upon the, the funds that are collected. We ask that they will be used in a manner that is pleasing to you, Father, that sustains the, the functions of the church here, Father, that reaches those around us, that we can bring more people to know you and Father, we just uh, are thankful for the opportunity to give back. We know it's a, a privilege to be able to do so, and we thank you for that. Father, I pray all these things through your son, Jesus. Amen. There will be no children's bottle hour uh, for today, so everyone just remain in the auditorium. Let's all please stand and we'll sing hymn number 244, Hold to God's Unchanging Hand. <coughs> Yeah. 
Invitation to him this morning, number 207. Hark the gentle voice. 207. Brother Chris. The stones that fell from destroyed Pompeii, the city that lay at its base, pretty quickly. Uh, the top layers of the city, they had multi-story buildings, so the second, third, fourth story buildings were demolished by the mountain, the top of the mountain, essentially descending on the city. Very quickly after that, the, the noxious gases and the heat that was generated by this volcano annihilated everyone in its path. 17 minutes down the road, you find a little city, a suburb, a suburb of Pompeii. They have several minutes in which to ready their affairs in order to find some semblance of safety. They're not going to find it, but an attempt at safety is tried. Um, the city they ran to, at least part of it you see on the screen behind me, these arched gateways are, are boathouses, brick boathouses. They live on the, the beach. Uh, this, this city is located on the beach. Uh, and the people were hiding in these arched gateways. We know that because they found 300 skeletons there. This is where the city ran to. They had time, they had warning, to run to safety here. We know that one person didn't make it. We know that he was a Roman guard. We think that he was there in an effort to warn the citizens of this city. We know he wasn't there in the arched gateways. We think that he was... Uh, a, uh, the one that came to warn this city because he's standing on the bridge uh, that links uh, the, the hillside to these arched boathouses. We found his skeleton there. It's actually knocked off of the bridge, but scientists who study this type of thing say that he was most likely standing on the bridge urging the people into the arched gateways in an effort for safety. Can you imagine being that guy? Put yourself in his shoes for just for a minute and, and, and look at all the things that are going on around you. There are a multiplicity of things that can distract, distract you if you're that guy, right? Just the panic itself. The world must be ending. Just the panic 
in and of itself would have been enough to distract most people, not this guy. He, he stays the course. Nothing, apparently nothing, can distract this Roman guard from his mission. His job is to get everyone into as much safety as they can find. And he's doing his job. No matter the cost, no matter what comes, no distractions, he's doing his job. He's not looting. I don't, I don't know if there was time for looting in and around the suburbs around Pompeii. Maybe there was. You see that today uh, and when disasters like this strike. But he's not doing that. And it may not be because he's an upright, just man. It could just be that he's so focused on his job, he's not going to allow anything to distract him. He's not allowing the good of one citizen to overweigh the group, uh, the need of the group. In fact, there are no skeletons outside of these three, uh, outside of these three hundred that are found in the the arched gateways. They're all inside there except. Him, he's standing guard there, not allowing anything to distract him from his mission. I think that's important for us because today we come to Acts chapter 20. We come to a different uh, series. I'm calling it Christianity on Trial. Throughout this series, you'll find Paul coming in contact with a variety of uh, different trials, not not like suffering, not periods in which he suffers, but, but literal trials like he's in front of a court or he's in front of a judge, in front of a ruler, in which he's going to have to give a defense for his belief. And we're going to be able to learn a variety of things from those instances. But first, I think we need to stop and think about preparing ourselves for just such a trial. Maybe it's uh, a defense that we need to give for our faith. Maybe it is a, a difficult time, but in Acts chapter 20, you find opportunity to learn from both Paul and the Ephesian elders about what it looks like to prepare yourself for a trial, to prepare your mind for a trial. And so that's what we're going to spend our time thinking through today. <coughs> In Acts chapter 20, Paul is dead set. He's not allowing anything to distract him from his trip to Jerusalem. <coughs> Excuse me. He is locked in. He's headed toward Jerusalem. And he's been hearing along the way in every city that once he gets to Jerusalem, that there's going to be hardship and suffering for him there. There's going to be imprisonment and pain for him there. But he is locked in, headed, dead set. Toward Jerusalem. On his way, though, it's almost like he can't help himself. He's got to stop and he's got to see these Ephesian elders. He knows what's coming up for them. <coughs> Excuse me. He knows that their future is dark, that tough times are about to come upon them as well. And so he stops in Miletus, another beach city, port city. And he calls to them. Uh, Ephesus is several, on mile, several miles on inland into Asia Minor. But they come to him and meet him in Miletus. And he has several words for him. Those words are what we're going to focus on today. Because I think he is already prepared himself for the trials. Both like in front of a judge and as well as the pain that he's going to go through uh, once he gets into Jerusalem. He's prepared himself already for that. 
And you see some of that preparation here in Acts chapter 20. But he's also preparing the Ephesian elders for the sufferings that they're about to undergo, spiritual and physical. These things are coming their way and he's trying to prepare them. And so he's going to give them some advice, some inspired advice about how to prepare themselves to meet this trial well. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you meet this trial well? How do you prepare yourself to meet a trial well? Well, Acts chapter 20, 18 through 21, this is the the text that Greg Greg read for you this morning. Paul is focused. He's laser focused, like like our our friend um, that was uh, getting all the people in the suburb of Pompeii into the the relative safety of those arched gateways, not allowing himself to be distracted by anything. Paul is laser focused. But his focus doesn't rest on the people's physical safety. He's not so much concerned about that because that's impossible. You're not going to get out of this life living. Only two people have done that and and you're not going to be one of them. (laughs) So Physical safety is not on the top of the bucket list here. What is, what is Paul's main objective? Look at what he says in verse 21. He says, I've got an agenda. I've got a goal. And I'm going at that goal with everything I've got. I'm, I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to allow myself to get distracted by even some good things that might take my attention away from my one goal. He says, I've got one goal. Verse 21, he says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, to everybody. It doesn't matter your nationality. This is his one goal. He doesn't have a goal for the Jewish people (coughs) and a different goal for the Greeks. He's got one goal to Jews and to Greeks. He's testifying to them of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. When he met in these people's homes... That's what he's going to say earlier on uh, in in 18 through 21. He's going to meet in their homes, right? Uh, He's dealing, I guess, with some specific problems, maybe that specific families are dealing with, uh, some specific inconsistencies that particular families are having as they try to live life on mission with Jesus. Can you imagine being a pagan person who... Last week you were worshiping Zeus and then you met this guy named Paul and he convinced you that God, Yahweh, this this Yahweh that you've never heard of, he's the one who created heavens and earth and he he came and he died for you and, and you believe all of this and so you were immersed for the purpose of the forgiveness of your sins and now you're a part of the church and you, you've got a mission too. Can you, can you imagine all the baggage you would bring into Christianity with? Can, can you imagine what that person's day-to-day life would look like? What their family life would look like? What, where their minds were? That's why, Paul, that's why Paul stayed so long in Ephesus, I think, is because it has such incredible potential to spread the truth, and it does. Throughout all of Asia Minor, this, this one congregation, seemingly from what we know uh, from Scripture, uh, the word was dispersed throughout all of Asia Minor from this one spot Paul says, I was intent. I I was devoted to this one thing, testifying about repentance toward God. 
When I met in your houses, that's what I was focused on. When I, when I preached publicly, that's what I was focused on. And I didn't allow anything to distract me. Sometimes we get distracted by good things, things that are fine to do, but they're not the best thing, are they? They're not the most important thing. Paul says there's, there's, there's an important thing here that you don't need to overlook. You need to focus on repentance. You need to search out your heart and make sure that who you are is who He would have you to be. It's awfully hard to look in the mirror and say, who are you? What do you love? Can I tell what you love by what you do? By how you spend your time? By how you spend your money? I can, can't I? If you look deeply enough at yourself, take, take that out, out of the equation even. If you look at someone that you don't even know, but you've got access to their calendar, how they spend their time, and their bank account, can I, you tell me what they love? You better bet you can. What you spend your time on and how you spend your what you spend your money on or what's the most important things to you. Right? We need to do an awful lot of soul searching to figure out what's the most important thing to us. Paul says the most important thing ought to be repentance. That soul searching that you're doing, am I really in line with who he wants me to be or, or am I just paying lip service to it? Also, faith in God, right? Faith is, is literally trust. And so what do you trust him to do? Like, like the most trusted person in your life, would, would you put your life in their hands? Would you put all the things that you love in their hands? Would do you trust them implicitly, right? Do you trust God in the same way or, or even more, hopefully? Or do you hold some things back? They say, I, I, I want to hold on to this. I'm going to use my money how, how I want to. Because I don't trust you to take care of me. Is your, is your faith really in Him or is it in your money? I don't, I, don't, I don't trust you, Lord, to, to design my calendar, to tell me how to spend my time, because I, 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 just, I just think you're going to mess me over, because there's going to be some things over here that I want to do, some, some hobbies or some, some life decisions or some, some whatever, fill in the blank. There's some things over here that I want to do that I don't think you're going to let me do, so I'm going to hold my calendar in reserve, and I'm, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to allow you to be in charge of, of my calendar. Is your faith really in Him or is it in yourself? Self-introspection is important, isn't it? And it's one of the very first ways that I can prepare my mind to go through a trial. I've got to stay focused. Next thing, I've got to know what's important. Check out what he says in Acts chapter 20, 20 verses 22 through 24. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, 
except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. You think Paul knew what was important? You, you think? We all, we all understand that though, right? We, we know what's important. <coughs> we know being in service is important. We know working with spiritual disciplines is important. We know studying and being around like-minded people and praying. We know these things are important, but how often does our life reflect it? We know intellectually what we ought to do, but how often does our life really say it, that that's important to us? How often do I sacrifice my time or my money to make those things happen? Or how often do I have the things over here that I wanted to do that I've not given over to the Lord, that I've not sacrificed to Him? And I'm going to keep these things because they're mine. Yeah. I think you know what's important. I think we need to be reminded that it's more than just an intellectual assent. Our lives actually have to make this make sense. Paul got what was important, didn't he? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's going to go through some of the things, some of these trials that he's going through, that he's been through. He's going to list them off for you. He says, I've been beaten several times with 39 stripes. I've been shipwrecked, right? Uh, I've been uh, fighting wild beasts. And he goes through this huge list of sacrifices that he's made. Every time he's beaten... It's a reminder to him of what's important. Why am I being beaten? Oh yeah, because I refuse to give up on Jesus. Because he is everything. And when they tell me to stop talking, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not capable of doing that because he's, he's everything and you need to know it too. The guy that's whipping Paul needs to know it too. Can you get in Paul's mindset for a second and think about it, that as the lash hits his back, it's a reminder every single time that this is what's important to me, that Jesus is important to me, that so much so that I'm taking this beating and I'll take another one and I'll take another one and I'm not going to give up on him and the guy that's beating me and the guy that ordered him to beat me, they need to know it too. And so when I'm done here, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to try to convince him that Jesus is the only solution to his problems too. Every imprisonment was a reminder to Paul of what was really important. You see that throughout the book of Acts, right? We just finished uh, with, with his second missionary journey. But it, when he's in Philippi, he's beaten. That's one of those times he refers to in, in 2 Corinthians 11. And then he's imprisoned. And then when God lets him out of prison, what happens? He stays in prison. And then he tries to convert the Philippian jailer. And he does. Right? This is what's important to Paul. You need a reminder in your own life of what's important to you. How do you know that this stuff's important? Are there constant reminders like that? Because every time Paul ran into a hardship, every time he ran into trouble, it was just one more reminder, just driving that nail deeper and deeper into his, his faith that I'm not giving up here. I, I'm going to go through this hardship and it's only driving my faith even deeper into me. 
We need reminders like that. Constant reminders of what's really important. You need to decide right now what's the most important thing to you. If you had, if you walked up to your house on your way home um, and it's on fire, but, but it's okay because all of your family's out and everyone's safe, but you knew you had, say, say you knew for sure that you had 30 seconds and you could run inside and you could grab something, the most important thing that's not your family, but the most important, maybe it's, a, maybe it's cash, maybe it's, maybe it's a photo book that you don't have backed up somewhere, maybe it's a computer or something. If you had 30 seconds, what would you run in there and grab? I think some of us spiritually would die in that house because we don't know what's important. Is that right? We struggle to figure out what's important. And I think a lot of us would run back and forth and think, oh, I need this, oh, I need this, oh, I need... And then 30 seconds would be up and walls come crashing down. Same thing's true spiritually. We've got to figure out what's important spiritually. Is it, is it this hobby? Is it this person? Is it this thing? Is it my faith in Christ? Joshua, at the end of his life, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, looked at his generation of people and said, you need to choose when? Tomorrow? Next year? Someday? Right now. You need to choose right now whom you're going to serve. That's the word from Scripture. You need to choose right now. Don't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till tonight. Don't wait until next year. Someday never comes. You need to choose right now what's important to you. And then you don't ever look back. That's how you prepare your mind for a trial. Next part starts in verse 25. If you want to prepare your mind for a trial, you need to worry about your legacy. Listen to what Paul says here to these, these elders. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. <coughs> For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of God in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You need to worry about your legacy. Usually when we think about and talk about legacy, we're talking about future generations and the impact that we're going to have on, on them. Certainly we're stronger because of the great examples that we've had in the past, right? There have been incredible Christians in this congregation that you're aware of that have shown the way to you and they're part of the reason you're here today and we stand on their shoulders the Bible is familiar with that idea, right? In Hebrews, he talks about how we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now we, we go forward. We push on because they showed us the way. And certainly that's true. We should worry about the impact we're having on future generations. 
and those around us. But did you know that your passion for Christ is contagious? When, when I'm talking about legacy here, I'm not so much thinking about future generations. I'm thinking about the people around you right now. That your faith affects them. How little or how great your faith is affects them. How devoted and dedicated you are to Christ affects the people around you. In this room today, it affects them. Remember what Paul says uh, in, in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, a little leavens. Do you remember how he finishes that, that sentence? A little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? How you act, how you are faithful, how devoted you are affects those around you. Your faith is contagious. Whether your faith looks like COVID or whether it is resplendent. Like we find in the book of Hebrews with the great cloud of witnesses that have surrounded them. Your faith's contagious. It's touching everybody around you. It's affecting everybody around you. If we're going to have minds that are prepared for trials, we need to be worrying about our legacy, worrying about how we're rubbing off on those around us. Verse 28 of Acts chapter 20. In verse 28, the Holy Spirit says that He picked these elders, that they're chosen by Him. If the Holy Spirit picked our elders, couldn't He have put you here too? Couldn't you be in this congregation at the Rome Church of Christ for, I want to put it in Mordecai's words, for such a time as this? So that you can affect the kingdom in bigger and better ways. Might you not be here for a reason? Flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I think you are here for a reason. I think how you live here matters. In the midst of that conversation in Ephesians chapter 4... Uh, at the end, Paul says in verse 16, something that's really interesting. He says that, that you're here for a reason. Act, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In the midst of a conversation on how we get to maturity, how our minds can be prepped for trials. Paul says, when each part, when each part of the body, when each member of the body is working properly like we should, when we're all devoted, when none of us are half-hearted, when all of us are passionately on fire for Him, what happens to the whole body? It builds itself up in love. God builds it up in love. You're here for a reason. Don't think that you just wandered in off the street don't think that you were invited by a friend just by coincidence. Don't think that you were born into this congregation just by 
coincidence. You're, you're here for a reason. Serve. Help us all grow up into maturity. You're here for a reason, and we need to worry about our legacy. That's how we prepare ourselves for the trials that are coming. We worry about our legacy. How our faith affects those around us. But even more than that, the great legacy that's ahead of all of God's faithful people rides on this issue, doesn't it? How faithful are you? Heaven is on the table. It, it's, it's a promise, but it's a conditional promise. You don't get to live however you would like to live here. You don't get to be in charge. You don't get to have the things that you're withholding from Him and Him give you everything that heaven has to offer. That's not how it works. He says, you give me everything and I'll give you everything. And, and, and so much more. More than you can possibly dream or imagine. Right? That's the kind of legacy we need to be worrying about. The scripture holds up heaven as something that we need to focus on. Something that we need to be encouraged by. Something that we need to sacrifice for. That's a legacy worth worrying about. Don't ignore it. Final thing I think Paul would say to these Ephesian elders is you need to constantly be looking for opportunities to help. Listen to what he says in, in verse 33. Acts chapter 20, verse 33. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. <coughs> you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Helping others is the best way to get our minds off of our own troubles. These elders' lives needed to be characterized by self-sacrifice. Paul reminds them he worked night and day to take care of his needs and the needs of those who were with him, he expected these men to connect the dots. If Paul did this, they need to do it as well. Their lives, our lives, need to be characterized by self-sacrifice. And he, he gives the weak, the poor, as an illustration of one of the things that you ought to be doing. I don't know if he's talking about physically weak, like those who are... Uh, physically poor, those who, are, those who are physically poor, or if he's talking about those who are spiritually poor, those who are spiritually weak. Certainly both demand our attention, don't they? Certainly both would fit into this category of helping. Kenneth Woost, in his expanded translation, translates this section as, happier is the one who constantly practices giving than he who constantly receives. If our minds are focused on helping, whether it's helping the spiritually poor, those who are weak and need our, our attention, or whether it's those who are physically poor and need 
our attention. Jesus said something in Matthew 25 about giving a glass of cold water to those in my name, right? These are things that are salvation issues. These are, he connects this to whether you're going to be saved or not. These are big deals. So if I want to prepare my mind to endure a trial, I need to be looking for opportunities to help both those who are physically poor and those who are spiritually poor. Most of you probably know what an O-ring is, I would imagine, don't you? Um, they, they fit inside of, uh, of, a, of a pipe and they keep air and water out, right? 1989, uh, Challenger, remember the space shuttle, has some O-rings in it. Um, and one of them is separating the external gas chamber from the rocket launcher. And it fails. And that's why it explodes. It's tiny little, I mean, you can buy them for like $3, right? They're inexpensive. They don't look like much, but this thing held it together. The funny thing is, or, or I guess funny is not the right word, the horrible thing about it is they were warned. They knew that, or at least NASA was warned, that at temperatures like those on the day that Challenger exploded, that these O-rings don't function right. It was too cold. They only function, they function at optimal capacity in the 60s and 70s, but not in the 30s. They, they, they don't do their job. They were warned, but they didn't heed the warning. Today you need to heed the warning. Make sure you're listening. Make sure you're paying attention. Don't let today slip and not do the thing that you know you need to do. If you have a need this morning, if you want to be baptized, if you'd like the prayers of this congregation, we would love to aid you in any way we can. Won't you come as we stand and sing? Yeah.